0: Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our study, um, our series called The Church Next Door. Um, This is where we're walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter. uh, He wrote to the church in Corinth. And for the past few weeks, again, by the way, these kind of studies, I don't know how familiar you may be with them, but when we go verse by verse through a book, it's pretty important that if you miss a week, You can go back online, you can listen, you can catch up because as with any letter, as with any story, it builds. And so what we talked about last week and the past couple of weeks, I can kind of sum it up this morning, but there's going to be a point in the book where I'm not going to be able to sum up about 10, 15 weeks worth of stuff, right? So try to stay with us. Try to, you can even read ahead like it's available. It's in the Bible. You can can read this stuff on your own to kind of stay on the same page. But for the past two weeks, uh, excuse me, a few weeks, we've seen Paul set up this dichotomy between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And, and godly wisdom is the gospel. It's the message of the cross. He uses a ton of different words for this idea. But he's laid down the arguments. He's, excuse me, he's laid down the foundation for his arguments to come. And what he's been saying is, and and I hope you've picked up on it, he said there's a clear distinction between a non-believer, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, and a believer in the gospel. You see, a believer follows the message of the cross, a crucified Savior who declares he is the Lord of all And he's um, our savior and our Lord, and he's died for the forgiveness of our sins. But non-believers, well, they think that's foolishness. But of course they do. That's why they don't believe, right? They're non-believers. They don't believe in Jesus. And so rather than living by the wisdom of Jesus, by this godly spiritual discernment type stuff, they choose to follow the wisdom of the world. Whatever that may be, just these, these ideas and these things, the culture that teaches them how to Live. And Paul says the destination for these worldviews are very different. The worldly wisdom leads to destruction, the godly wisdom, the message of the cross, leads to salvation, right? And believers, he says, what he talked to, spent a lot of time last week talking about, is that all believers are indwelled with God's Spirit, that God now resides within us. And again, he will continue to work that out as we go. But he casts this vision of this different type of life they can live. He calls them to live to a different standard because the cultural standard that's crept its way into the church is what's causing division, divisiveness, and they're not getting along. It's not because of the gospel. It's because of cultural wisdom, things they're bringing into the church, And so now he goes to the problems. You see, the fighting and the divisiveness, those are merely symptom of what's really going on. They're allowing the culture and its wisdom to dictate what's important. They're missing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this week, I'm just gonna let you know ahead of time, this week packs a mighty punch. Get ready for it. You're like Brian, I mean, I think the past couple of weeks have been bad, yep. This is rough. So just, I hope you have steel-toed shoes on, right? I hope you brought them with you. Take a deep breath, bring down your defensive walls because what Paul says, it really is a gut punch to us all. Because what we're gonna find out is the story of the three little pigs. Remember that story? What we're gonna find out is the story of the three little pigs is far more important than we think. But it's not about the big bad wolf coming to blow anything over. But it's when the creator of the cosmos catches on fire everything you've built and what's going to be left and what you're going to have to show for it. So let's dive right in. First Corinthians chapter three, here he goes. He says, dear brothers and sisters, a term of endearment. And anytime Paul says something like that, you better be ready. It's that Southern compliment sandwich, right? Don't do that in the South. Oh, bless your heart. Here's what we really think, right? says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you, though you belonged to this world, or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And so Paul's saying, when I came to you, you were babes in Christ. I couldn't talk to you about grown-up spiritual matters. I couldn't talk to you as uh, mature believers. I couldn't let you in on all the, the wisdom that God has available to us. He said, I had to give you milk. You see, there were things Paul wanted to tell them. There's things that God wants to reveal to us, but we just got to wait, right? We're not ready for them. And, and I hope you know that's how God works. God never gives you everything up front, He slowly reveals, you take a step of faith, and then once you take a step of faith, what's he do next? He gives you more. And then you take that step, he gives you more. But we don't want that, do we? We want everything lined up to make a good decision on whether or not we should do it. God's like, no, 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 this is called faith. Come try it. Right, So Paul's like, hey, I wanted to tell you more, but you weren't ready for it. And now listen, right now he's not being negative about it. They were new. He started the church. He just planted this. He told them about the gospel. They were new in the faith. We need to remind ourselves, like for this, there's nothing wrong with being an infant in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with being fed with milk. I mean, think about it. An infant can live and is sustained by milk alone. And what this translates for us and what we have to be thankful for is the gospel is simple enough for the infant to understand and digest and kind of feed off of, right? Milk, like this isn't a bad thing, he's saying, but the message of Jesus Christ coming into the world to be king claiming to be the Messiah, the Lord of all, who took responsibility for our sin, died on the cross for our debt, resurrected from that death to restore our relationship with the Father. Paul's saying, listen, this is milk. We're like, yeah, but that's pretty deep. He's like, I know, but this is milk. This is entry level. This is just the beginning Like, that's all we could talk about. You weren't ready for the deep truths of the gospel. Just like an infant isn't ready to talk about career choices, right? They're just not there yet. When we start off with Christ, we start off with the basics. He's like, so when I was with you, this is what we talked about. He says, you weren't ready. Now, here's the problem. And he says, next verse, and you still aren't ready. Ooh, that's not good. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarreling with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living just like the people of the world? And that's the problem. After all these years, they have not matured in their faith. He literally calls them, those of you who like the King James Version, this is where that idea of carnal Christian comes in. He literally calls them carnal, fleshly Christians. They're, they're claiming allegiance to Jesus Christ, but they're still controlled by sin and worldly wisdom. They haven't allowed the gospel to penetrate every aspect of their life. And now this is important. What does he define, especially here, what does he define as this immaturity or a sinful Christian or a carnal Christian when you're jealous? And what's the other word? We're like, yeah, but it's church. You just fight in church, don't you? He's like, no, no, that's immaturity. That's sinfulness. That's not what the church is supposed to be about, He says, that's what you're still doing. He's saying, listen, he's taking the time, right? Remember, follow his train of thought. He's already taken the time to explain, hey, you got worldly wisdom and you got spiritually wisdom. And the problem that's going on with them is they're choosing worldly wisdom, which is causing these quarrels and these fights because it's not compatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes in and here's their specific sin. Verse four, he says, when one of you say, I'm a follower of Paul, And another says, I'm a follower of Apollos. Aren't you acting just like people of the world? He says, aren't you acting just like people during the election? You should have chuckled more. (laughs) I don't have social media. I don't know what you post. But aren't you just acting like the people who have no hope in Jesus Christ and they're putting all their hope in this one leader thinking they're gonna fix it all? Aren't you, like they act like that because they don't have Jesus. Why are you acting like that, thinking people are gonna solve the problems? Why are you claiming allegiance to some human, human leader that's not from the Lord? Believers put their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying you have the wrong understanding of leadership, especially spiritual leadership. We'll dive into that in a couple of weeks. I promise we've seen it sprinkled in. We'll get into it in a couple of weeks. But here's what he says, verse five. He says, after all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was who? God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. We are all simply servants of Jesus Christ. This word here, servant, is also translated as ministers. We are all just simply servants. We're simply ministers of Jesus Christ. God is the one who produces the things. God is the one who causes churches to grow. God is the one responsible for your maturity and your growth. Like God's the one who does the work in us. As every farmer knows, you may do a little bit, you may plant some seed, you may water it, but do you cause that thing to sprout up? You're like, well, I feel like I did. I feel like I did some hard work. You didn't. You didn't cause that seed to act the way it acts. God is responsible for the growth. Verse eight, he says, the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. He says, at the end of the day, folks, we're just workers. All of us, even the leaders, we're just workers because who is the owner? You didn't say like with confidence because this is very important to where he's going. Who owns this whole thing? Right, so it doesn't matter who you are or what you're elected to, who owns the whole thing? God, right, you're just simply working. You're just a servant. You're just the minister doing your part. This is God's thing. And all of us play a part in building up the church or, or planning or watering. He's gonna switch illustrations here. He goes from using this idea of God's field where we do our work, to now he's gonna start talking about God's building where he does his work. He's gonna switch illustrations, stay with him. But what's very important, he says, say, hey guys, this is God's thing. He's the one who causes this stuff to grow. You play a part, but who should we focus on? Who's actually important? Not the speaker on stage, not the singer on stage. We're just doing our jobs. I mean, we're just doing our part. We're using our gifts. You use your gifts. Like it's God's thing. This is about him. This is about Jesus Christ. He is the one who gets the glory here, Paul's saying. Verse, verse 10, he continues. He says, because of God's grace, now he's going to this building illustration now. He said, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So again, Paul's using this illustration. He's talking about the church, right? He's talking to a church, talking about building the church up. And he starts off with the illustration of, hey, before you build a house, you got to lay a solid foundation. He's using the same thing Jesus uses in Matthew chapter seven, talking about the importance of building on this, this solid rock, the foundation of Christ's teaching. And so Paul's continuing this illustration. He said, look, I've come to you and I've built this solid foundation of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus and all about the redemption that he's brought. But he says, now others are building on it. Like, what do you mean building on it? Well, I mean, Paul did his part, but the church needs to start building up. We need to start having ministries all of us are servants for the Lord. We're all ministers to the Lord. We all have a part to play. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, right? The way we say it around here is we are making and maturing disciples. And so there's going to be ministries. There's going to be activities to carry out the work of Jesus Christ. He's saying, so others are building on it, but what does he tell them to be? Very careful, we'll get to in a second. But now others are building. What's very important to understand? Excuse me, what's very important to understand here. This isn't talking to just pastors, just deacons. This is talking to whoever is building, whoever is actively playing a part in ministry, doing the things, carrying out their work. This is for all of us. He says, You better be careful. Verse 12. He says, Anyone. Who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials gold silver jewels wood hay or Straw. Let's pump the brakes real quick. I know where he's about to go. I'm going to get you ready for it. And these building materials are, of course, metaphorical. We know that. He's, he's not giving instructions on how to actually build a literal church, but he's saying you can use all sorts of things to build up your church, to build up the ministries in your church. And here's what he's getting at. You can use things of eternal value, gold, silver, or jewels, or you can things, use things of temporal value. Wood, hay, or straw. You're like, Brian, where do you get that? You'll see why in a second. Just here's a hint. Some of these are fireproof. Others aren't. This is things of this world. These are the things of eternal value. He says, and you have a choice. You can choose. When we carry out the Lord's work, and this is kind of that shock, this is that part we have to pause. When we are carrying out the Lord's work, we have an option he's bringing back this dichotomy between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. That same train of thought he's been using, he hasn't left, he's continuing the illustration. He says, because what he's telling them is they're building with the wrong stuff. Gold, silver, and jewels, these are the things of eternal value. This is what carries out the mission of Jesus Christ. These are the things that the spirit will lead us to, direct us to, guide us to. And this is the point where we have to remind ourselves the purpose of the church. We're here to glorify God in all that we do. But the mission and the mandates that Jesus Christ gave us is to make and mature disciples. We are redeemed people, right? Saved by God's grace, living in a broken world who are here to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to light the light to this dark world. But he says, you can use that stuff or you can use wood, hay, or straw. These are temporal things. These are the things that do not matter in light of eternity. It's the worldly stuff that just leads to strife and division. You see, just like the three little pigs found out what they built their house out of mattered, Paul says the only thing that matters is what you're building with because you will stand before God And here's what he tells us is gonna happen. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. The day will come when all of our efforts will be tested by fire. God isn't gonna huff and puff. He's gonna burn it down. That don't make you giggle a little bit. That's, it's severe, isn't it? He's not just blowing, he's gonna light it on fire, and say, hey, let's see what you did. God will show our work, Christians, for what it is. We are either doing the things of eternal value, contributing to the mission and the mandate of Jesus Christ, or we're spinning, in the, we're spinning our wheels in the mud wasting all our efforts and we will watch our efforts be burnt up in smoke. How embarrassing would that be? Look, Lord, look what I did. Whole thing burns down. We don't wanna chuckle, but I'm just telling, this has been here the whole time. I'm not making this up. This has been in the Bible for a couple thousand years now. Like this is the warning for what we do and this needs to be a gut shot. Every pastor I know takes this serious. We will be held accountable for our work, what we're focusing on. However, everyone must take this serious, especially if you're in leadership. That is the board, the deacons, ministry leaders, anybody exercising influence, because we know Jesus tells us whoever's been given more, more will be required. We are accountable for more. And so this is the kind of stuff he's like, hey, whatever you're focused on, whatever you're doing, we're gonna test it. We're going to see if it was a value. We're going to see if it was the things I've asked you to do. And this passage is a massive warning, folks, but it's also a tremendous comfort. You're like, Brian, I don't see any comfort in that at all. Listen, this is a great comfort because all of our hard work will be tested. But listen, it's not the amount of time we spent. It's not what we built It's not even how big it was. God has already told us he gets the credit for growth. So it's no matter how large your ministry is, how small your ministry is, like that's not what he's testing. What we are held responsible for is the material we use. In other words, what we choose to focus on is what we will be held accountable for. What we're influencing others on is what we're gonna be held accountable for. You see, the comfort is we can build a dilapidated tent. But if it's made out of the right stuff, we can be proud. Does that make sense? We can try our very best as long as it's gospel-centered, as long as it's gospel-driven. We can try our best, like, Lord, like my kids do, Lord, look at this. He'll smile and be like, good job. But if it's... We can build the biggest mansion and have the greatest things in the world, but if it's made out of wood, hay, or straw, it's getting burnt down. So all we're responsible for is being gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, carrying out his mission. He'll take care of the growth. We don't have to have the best things in the world, but we're responsible for the material we use. What really matters is our commitment to Jesus Christ and his mission and mandates. And what did Jesus Christ give his life to? He gave it for people, folks. The message of salvation, laying down his life, preaching and teaching, raising up disciples, ministry, being his hands and feet, that is what we give our lives to. Those of you who took 401, you're reminded of the shell story, right? Look, Lord, here's the shells. It's all pointless when we stand before him. And what we have to be reminded of is folks, busyness doesn't matter. The church has been famous for a long time of keeping people busy, of things that have no eternal value. But Jesus dealt with this. Do you remember the story of Martha and Mary? Mary. Remember, Jesus came to their house. Martha was running around doing a bunch of stuff, getting it ready, preparing, keeping herself busy, you know, all the cultural standards. And Mary, excuse me, that was Martha. Mary simply sat at Jesus's feet, listening. Martha was, of course, upset, saying, Lord, can you tell Mary to help out? You know, the roast is in the oven. Someone has to ice the cake. Can you tell Mary to help out Jesus? I mean, imagine that. Imagine being a dinner guest at somebody's house and they ask you to get involved with the conflict and get it settled while you're just sitting there trying to eat dinner. That's what they do. Can you tell Mary to get involved and help out Jesus? Do you remember what he said? Here's what he says, Luke chapter 10. But the Lord said to her, my dear, my dear Martha, You are worried and upset over all these, all you detail-oriented people in here, I highlighted that for y'all, just letting you know, all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. When you trust Jesus is enough, when you believe the gospel is enough, when you believe that the gospel is the life-changing message of Jesus Christ that will transform people, will transform their marriages, will transform their relationships, will transform their eternity. When we understand that, he is the point. It changes everything. Mary sat at his feet. Hmm. We will all stand before the Lord. And Our work will be tested. It will go through fire. I don't know what that's going to look like. I was thinking like a pizza oven. I don't know what y'all thinking. I'm thinking like a little belt. Our work's going. I don't know. That's where I'm thinking. Okay. But we will stand before the Lord. Here's what he says. Verse 14. He says, and if, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. You will be rewarded for your dilapidated gold tent That's pretty cool. I don't know what the reward is, but that's the kind of drive for ministry. Like we're doing this for the Lord and we're gonna hear a a well done and be rewarded from him. So all that time you spend with preschoolers, helping them grow in their faith and then helping their parents go grow in their faith, like you will be rewarded for dirty diapers. That's pretty, I mean, you gotta have some motivation to do that job, don't you? You will be rewarded for dirty diapers. Going to youth camp, Pouring your life out into the youth and staying at those really bad places that Scott books for you? Right, I'm told Scott's no longer allowed to build accommodation. Chris and said his head. He is not allowed. Scott is not allowed to do accommodations. But you will be rewarded for, for diving in and helping the youth grow in their faith. And I hope your goal is the same, folks, that we stand before the Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But that's when we prioritize the gospel. Look at verse 15. He says, but if the work is burnt up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. And this is very important because who's he talking to folks? Christians. We're like, yeah, but I thought it's been here the whole time. Like you're still going to get in and tell me if you think this is a situation in which Paul is describing is a good thing but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. Like you're still going to get in, but it's like he's pulling you out of your rubble. Your house is about, the picture I have is a fireman coming in and rescuing you at the last minute. Like you're going to make it, but all the stuff you gave your life to is burnt up in smoke. What breaks my heart, folks, is this is a real possibility. Like we can barely escape. And they tried, things were built up. I mean, they had things to offer it and he caught it on fire and said it was pointless. Should have did something different. You wasted your life on things that had no eternal value. And if I were you, I'd be sitting here thinking, okay, well that's exactly why I don't get involved in ministry. Like, I'm gonna play it safe. I don't wanna be involved in that. Like, I'm just gonna barely, you know, I, I don't wanna go through that. But then the problem is you gotta read the rest of what Jesus says, right? Read the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew 25. The servant who chooses to do nothing with what God's given him, what's he called? You remember? Wicked and lazy and thrown out of his presence. And if this is hard to digest, which I told you, I warned you. This is meat. This is beyond the milk. This is understanding that the creator of the universe created us, called us, and told us we have a purpose and a plan, and it's to fulfill what he's doing in this world. This is what it means to live for God. And understanding that if you're pouring your life into ministry, you're pouring your life into gospel things, like the Lord's saying, hey, you will be rewarded, even if it's a dilapidated tent. Like, you will be rewarded because you were gospel-centered. You were worried about reaching and teaching the last, the least, and all. It's like, you got it, congratulations. So this should be motivation. But this church wasn't gospel-centered or gospel-driven. They were consumed with themselves and human wisdom. And I'm sure they had great reason why, but folks, I think we've all heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions even well-meaning Christians can get off course. Look what Gordon Fee states. New Testament Gordon Fee says this. He says, Paul, Paul's point is unquestionably a warning. It's unfortunately possible for people to attempt to build the church out of every imaginable human system, system predicated on merely worldly wisdom, be it philosophy, pop psychology, managerial techniques, relational good feelings, or what have you. But at the final judgment, All such building, and this is a continuation of his quote, and perhaps countless other forms where systems have become more important than the gospel itself will be shown for what it is, something merely human with no character of Christ or his gospel in it. We are here for God's glory and we will be accountable because nobody's above accountability to God. And if you are in ministry and you're in leadership or you're giving your part to some aspect of this church, helping, listen, it's a serious warning about what we do. And of course, this church, their jaws would have dropped because they're in a mess. There's divisiveness. And he, Paul already knows they're following worldly wisdom. So their jaws would have dropped. And he's like, oh, oh, but I'm not done. I know it's a little hard, right? Like, Brian, let's come back next week. Let's just, Paul, say a prayer. We gotta go. We'll finish this next week. No, no, we're here. Let's just keep going. Verse 16. Here's what he says. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? He like, said, don't you understand how big of a deal the church is? I mean, Jesus Christ died for this. That's how serious it is to him. He gave up his life for it. And collectively, when we gather together, we are the temple, like the people, the spirit of God is dwelling. We are his worshiping community, representing him to the world of what it looks like to be a God follower. We are unlike any other organization in the world. We are something unique and special. We're called the bride of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus the light into this broken world. And folks, if I may be direct, the culture isn't our problem. The world has been messed up since sin was brought into it. Like the culture is what it is. The problem is churches aren't acting like churches. We are too consumed with our selfish, selfishness, worried about things that don't matter. We go out there and wonder why the world is so messed up. They look at us wondering why we don't look like the churches in the Bible. There's a disconnect there. But the gospel, what Christ has done, has to be our mission and our motivation. And Paul's like, don't you realize what you are? He said, don't take the church lightly. It's not just some other thing. It's a really big deal. And then he drops the hammer. You're like, are you for real? Oh, yeah. And this is the hard part. Look at verse 17. And God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You could have heard a pin drop, just like now. You see, the problem is they turn their church with their worldly wisdom into another good old boys club. They're building it using human systems, human um, and worldly systems, worldly values. They're operating like every other place out there, but the church isn't one of those things. And the warning is, if you turn the church into something other than what God has intended to be, God will destroy anyone who does that. That's why we're passionate, folks, about what we do. Because this isn't a light thing. And I want to make sure we're clear. He's not saying if you cause a church split. He's not saying, hey, if the door shut down. No, no, no. He's directly speaking to this idea of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. When you bring the values and the focus of the culture into the church, and that's what it becomes about. This is what it looks like to destroy his church and turn it into something else because that's what they were doing. What's the evidence? He already said divisiveness, jealousy, worried about the raw things. He says, folks, that's not what we give our attention to. We give our attention to the things of eternal value. And I don't know about you, but I'd be sitting there going, well, he ain't talking to me. He must be talking to someone else. But Paul, he's so smart. Look at his next verse. Stop deceiving yourselves. You're like, all right, come on, man, give me a break. He's like, don't think I'm not talking to you. He said, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're a wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And as the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snares of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are, what's that word? Yep. In other words our human logic and trying to get out of it justified he's like stop. The gospel is the point. All of us need to check our time and our motives and efforts to see what we're spending our time on. You see the one thing folks you will see throughout the Bible the one constant theme throughout scripture is that God calls his people to be his people. It says the people of God need to be the people of God. And that hasn't changed. The local church is the picture of what the future holds. We are the believers gathered under the lordship of Jesus, showing the world what it looks like and how Jesus has made a difference in our lives. He is the one in charge we are not. He has already directed and mandated what that should look like. And collectively, when we gather, we are his worshiping community. His spirit is with us. We are now the holy temple. This is a holy thing that we are doing. He says we don't have time to waste. This is a serious endeavor to be a part of the church. And don't don't get it wrong. I'm not naive about how organizations work and things that need to be done. But the best example I can give is from the military. You see, in the army, every single person's a rifleman. It doesn't matter what your job is, well, except for a chaplain, but other than that, everybody's primary job, your number one most important thing is that you know how to use that rifle. Along with this, everything the army does supports the infantry, That is the primary purpose of the army, the infantry. There are admins, thank goodness, so we wouldn't get paid. There are cooks, thank goodness, we wouldn't eat. There are medical personnel, thank goodness, how else would you get ibuprofen and water, right? Because that's all they give you. How else would you get those things? There are an array of different jobs in the military, but make no mistake, the army's purpose is not to give good food or great medics. It's to be ready to engage in battles with the enemies of the United States. In the same way, everything we do as a church is about making and maturing disciples. Everybody's primary job, regardless of what else you do, is to be a disciple maker. And all the other systems and all the other support systems are to encourage and help and promote and grow our disciple making efforts. We must focus on the things of eternal value. That's what we're here to do. And so in closing, I know it's a little bit longer than usual, I apologize. But in closing, as we wrap up, I ask, what are you building with? From this, we see a couple of things. Let's go over them quickly. First is every single one of us is responsible for our spiritual maturity. I mean, Paul, check this out. Paul is calling them out before the New Testament's been collected and written. This is one of the earliest letters. Chances of the community having the Old Testament are very slim. We know everybody didn't have an Old Testament in their homes. So before they were able to go online and watch the most world-renowned scholars, before they could go home and open up one of their 50 Bibles they have at the house, Paul's already saying, you are responsible for your maturity, what are you doing about it? what excuse do we have today? And I ask, are you building up the church with things of eternal value? Are you participating in the things of God? Are you making and maturing disciples? And I urge you, don't give your life away to things that don't matter. Again, even if all you build is an ugly, dilapidated tent, if it's made of gold, if it's made of the gospel, it's good. Help out and get involved. And as a church... We need to hold all people who have influence. It's our ministry leaders, deacons, pastors, everybody accountable to focus on what really matters. I mean, I've said it for a long time now. Leadership in the church is one of the most important things you will ever do in your life. It's a massive accountability system built in because we will stand before the Lord and show him what we're doing. And the gospel is the point. We are here to celebrate Jesus Christ. And we cannot, like the Corinthian church did, we cannot allow the culture and that wisdom to dictate what we do and what's important. What's important to the local church must be our commitment to Jesus Christ and spreading his gospel. Because folks, that's what we're about. That's what he died for. And that's what we give our lives to. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your warnings. It is so easy to get distracted with everyday life. It's so easy to be distracted by sin. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who richly showers us with wisdom. And so, Father, we ask you, we ask you for godly wisdom help us see clearly the things of eternal value that we must focus our lives that we must focus on in our lives and as a church father we are so thankful that what you require is that we build with the right material so help us see the world the way you see it give us the urgency to carry out your mission with our entire lives and father we are so thankful that you are the god of redemption who can redeem us, who saves us. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus.